the prophecies that you've fulfilled. Lord, I just ask right now that as we listen, open up your word and listen to it, that you again would, would breathe life into each word as Jackie teaches. Lord, that you would open up our spirits. And, and Lord, I know today there are, are people here with, uh, with dryness in their spirit. Lord, they've, they're in need of a touch from you. Lord, I just pray that as your word goes forth, that as you promised, it won't return void and that you will breathe life. Lord, that you would breathe life into any dry bones that are here, into any spirits that are wounded or in need of encouragement or hope. Lord, I thank you for, for your goodness and your mercy and for what you're going to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I had some fun this week. I uh, got a phone call from Lori, who does our children's ministry. And children's ministry tries to match whatever I'm doing, which sometimes is a challenge. And uh, so she uh, she called and said, hey, where are you going to be? What are you going to be teaching on Easter Sunday? So I said, Ezekiel 37. She's like, oh, thanks. I said, well, read it first and then thank me afterwards. <clears throat> I love Ezekiel 37. When we look at Ezekiel, one of the things that we want to kind of lay hold of is there, there, there's multiple prophets happening at the same time during this period of time in Israel's history. But there's two I really want us to focus on. That's Jeremiah, you've heard of him, right? And Ezekiel. Now, Jeremiah's in Israel. Ezekiel's in Babylon. One is with the exiles, one is with the remnant. And there's less and less remnant every day because more and more are taken into Babylon. And the reason they got there is God had given them everything. God had given them land. God had given them uh, produce. God had given them their wealth. Uh, They had families. They had all these things that so often are, are the things that we live for. And they got so distracted by all the things that they, they lived for. And their hope began to be in all of these things. And we see it as we look at the variety of prophets as they teach. That, that there was this struggle with people trusting in their stuff. The good things that God gave them. But not trusting in God. And so God would call to them and say, man, your, your hope is in this. And your hope is in that. And your hope is in all these things. But your hope's not in me. So he would challenge them, come to me, come back, come back. But they didn't listen. And one day, all those other things their hope was in, they all got took away. Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah the prophet is looking at the people. They've been conquered and they're going into exile. And he's looking at the people and he says of the people, God has a word for you. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good, not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Well, it's one of the promises we often like to quote, but we often take it out of context. What's the context? The context is 
a line of slaves that are all the men. And a line of slaves over there that are all the women. And a line of slaves that is on the other side of that that's all the children. The families are broken up. And some of those families never meet again. Did that ever happen in history? You guys familiar with the, the way the Holocaust worked out? When they would take men, men went to a certain camp, they'd take children, children maybe went to a different camp, they'd take women, women went to yet another camp. Families were torn apart, brothers and sisters who never saw each other again. Never. Occasionally you'll hear a story about how a brother and a sister found themselves, now they're 80, and they, they found themselves for the first time since the Holocaust. So similar, similar situation, but it's in that situation. There's the lines, in chains, going into captivity, going into exile. And God's word to the people was, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of good, not of evil. But you can have a future and a hope. God calls them in Jeremiah, seek for me. And you'll find me. Seek for me and you'll find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Come to me. I'll give you. Go. Plant. Live. You can still have a life. For many people, they would think in those situations, my life is over. And that's one of the things that, that we see when we, when we take the time to... Maybe spend a little time reading. There's a fellow named Viktor Frankl. I don't know if you guys have, have heard of him. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he was a doctor and uh, spent some time in the concentration camps, Nazi concentration camps. And while he was there, he noted that people fall into three categories. Right? They find themselves in that situation. They fall into three categories. First group, people become bad. Well, they don't really become bad. They just continue to be what they already were. What do I mean? Well, we always think that somehow we're above these things. But the reality is all we need is the right circumstances and, and a wrong couple of choices. And we find ourselves in the exact same place. So people be, became Jews, became Nazi sympathizers, turned in their brothers, turned in their sisters, did whatever they could to try to get by, right? Because in the end, this is my only chance to save me. And if i got to burn everybody else to do it, I'll do it. That was one category. Second category came, became so full of despair, they literally would lay down on the ground and die. Just utterly abject hopelessness. And the third group became heroic. The strength for others in the middle of those circumstances. And the difference, Viktor Frankl said in his book, the difference was where they found their meaning. Where their meaning was. That dictated whether they became the person who just looked out for number one. Or it dictated whether they became the person who just laid down and died. Or it dictated whether they became the person who was heroic. And began to live, even in the midst of those circumstances, for others. Now in the middle of that, okay, that's kind of the backdrop. 
Ezekiel's there. He's there. He's part of that train of guys. They drop him off in Babylon, and there he is in Babylon, one of God's prophets. And God says to Ezekiel, you know what, Ezekiel, I'm going to make you not able to speak. Well, thank you, Lord. That's a great job for a prophet, right? He said, so what I want you to do, when I give you something to say, Ezekiel, you walk outside of your house, and you start to talk, and the people will come. And if I haven't given you anything to say, then you don't have anything to say. It's okay. So in Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel comes walking out of his house. He has something to say. He has something to speak into the despair of the people, the hopelessness of the people. You know, you guys ever heard of Nietzsche? Nietzsche gets credited with the statement that God is dead. Anybody ever heard that before? And what, what Nietzsche said, what Nietzsche wrote about was the idea that religion led to the pursuit of reason. And reason led to the pursuit of does God exist? And, and ultimately, religion was responsible for killing God. And now that God's gone, what exactly are we living for? See, Nietzsche leads to something called nihilism. You ever heard of that? Nihilism means life is meaningless. It all goes back to the same thing. What do you put your hope in? What are you living for? Are you living for self? Is that really all there is? Me? Do you just give up and say there's no meaning at all? It's hopeless? Or do you become heroic? Where do you find your hope? This was what God had challenged Ezekiel to bring. This is what God had challenged Ezekiel to come forth with. So here's the players. The people are in despair. And you have Ezekiel and Jeremiah, God's prophets. The other, the other player, if you will, in this drama that's unfolding before us, this, this metaphor of the God who makes alive, is God himself. In Romans chapter 4, verse 17, it says this, As it is written... I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed. Here's the description of the God in whom Abraham believed. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence that which does not exist. If you ever spend a little time pondering that, ultimately... God is able to pull out of maybe the darkest periods of despair ever, hope. He calls into existence that which doesn't exist. We're in hopelessness, but God is able to speak hope. He's able to call life from the dead. There's no life in death, right? Death is dead. Dead is dead. But God is able to speak life. Into the dead. So God is a player in this uh, dramatic metaphor we have laid out before you. And the message ultimately is this. You've lost everything. Maybe some of us here this morning have, have, are, have or are experiencing it. Maybe you've lost land. They did. Maybe you lost home. They did. Maybe you lost your family. They did. Maybe you lost your friends. 
So did they. Maybe you feel like you've lost it all. You've lost your hope. You've lost your strength. The message of Ezekiel in this passage is here's your hope and here's your strength. Here it is. It's found in the God who makes alive. That's what Ezekiel wants us to to understand. So we look here in this text and we go, well, speaking to hope, where where is or what is their hope? And here in this text, it's they're described as what? Dry bones, right? What's well, as dead as you get? <coughs> Dry bones. They're not attached no more. Just a pile of bones. Ezekiel looks over this valley and he says, man, there's just a, a bunch of old bones. Anybody ever felt like that? Just a pile of old bones, dry, lifeless. Well, this is what he's saying. He's saying, man, they're, they're all bones, they're dried up. And Israel had this thing where, you know, there was this ancient promise a long time ago. So we forget about it because we read the text, you know, maybe one book after another. But, you know, literally there's quite a span of time from Abraham till this time. Lots of kings, lots of stuff has happened. And Abraham had had a promise. They were like, there's this distant promise that through Abraham will come a promised seed that's going to bless all the nations of the earth. But that seems like so far away. And we've been, you know, ever since the fathers lived, all things continue as they have. And, you know, we had good kings, we have bad kings Politically, we do okay, then not okay. Our world seems upside down. Sometimes our world seems upside right. And, and then all of a sudden, on this day, everything's gone. All the stuff I was living for. All the things I had hoped for. They're all gone. And I have this distant memory that there's some kind of a promise about salvation, but it's way out there. How do I get that that's way out there, distant and far removed, inside me? Uh, Most people just stop. Faith just becomes something of an ethnic position, right? I'm I'm a Jew because I was born with a bunch of Jews. Or I'm a believer because I was in a, born in a family of believers. It, it's not really something we possess. It's not something we have apprehended. A distant promise. It's out there somehow. In Ezekiel 37.11, if you look at it, as we were reading, God describes it. Thus He says to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. The whole house of Israel, dry bones. Listen, behold, they say, the house of Israel, these are their words. This is what they say in their exile. They say, our bones are dried. Our hope is lost. We are cut off. They were in exile nationally. But humankind has been in exile since Genesis 3. Genesis chapters 1 through 11, we see this journey, the downward spiral of mankind. You see the fall of man in Genesis 3, corruption of man in Genesis 6, rebellion of man in Genesis 11. Interdispersed between those, you have a flood. The story of the flood, right? God judging wickedness. 
And when God judges wickedness, here's my question. Who's left? Yeah, nothing. One family in a boat, they were there by grace. Not because they deserved it. Right? We look at it, there's, there's a message there. No, you don't see it? The downward spiral of man away from God. The questions we ask, why doesn't God just judge it all right now? Oh, wouldn't be nothing left. Would be nobody left. There was no righteous. There is no righteous. No, not one. That's a lot of not righteous, right? There's none that does good. Not one. Nobody. We see this, this exile. What, man is exiled from God because of his sin. And the symbol of man's exile from God is death. And every single one of us know it's wrong. We all know death is wrong. Don't you? We all weep over the dead. Why? Because we know it's wrong. Because that's not how it was supposed to be. When, when God planted the garden there, Adam and Eve are in the middle of the garden, there was another tree. What was it called? The tree of life, right? The tree of life, which meant, means that man would eat of that tree and live how long? Huh. Or we can declare our independence. So that's our real independence day, right? We are independent from God. Independent from God's wisdom. Independent from God's touch. And ever, ever since, there's been this downward spiral, and this distancing, a, a vague promise, right? Think of Israel, vague promise. Salvation for all the nations. Somehow that's supposed to come through us, but we're exiles. Yeah, that's the point. We're exiles. So one who is not an exile becomes an exile. Someone becomes an exile we, we can't even really begin to fathom. Do you really comprehend the distance from God's son to baby in a mother's womb? How far is that? How, how is the one who cannot be put in walls, he's so big, he, he encompasses all the universe, how does he fit in a mother's womb? How, does he, how, does he, how is he born and has the need to suckle at his mother's breast to live? The God who created life. Wow. Do you really fathom the exile he took before the foundation of the world? He became an exile so he could lead us out of exile. Ezekiel has a message for the people. His message is that for the people is we can have hope. We can have hope. They had feel like dry bones, right? Everything is dry. They've lost their hope. They're cut off. They're in exile. They're cut off. I, I just that phrase it echoes in my mind because I know in Daniel chapter 9, speaking of the Messiah, 
Daniel says, and he will be karat. That's the word for cut off. He, the Messiah, God's son, will become cut off. That he who knew no sin will become our sin sacrifice. So that we can become the righteousness of God. He will be cut off. The Israel, the nation is saying we're cut off. We're distanced from God. We're distant. We don't see His favor in our life anymore. We're slaves. We lost the land. We lost our stuff. I lost my family. I lost my kids. I lost my wife. We lost it all. And then we really find out, where's your hope? Is that what your hope is in? Because the Word of God calls us to hope in Him. That our hope is in Him. The nation is dry bones. The nation has lost their hope. The nation feels cut off. Man, if we live for money, and your money's taken away, or you live for family, and your family's taken away, if you live for status, in the exile, rich and poor are the same. Everybody is the same. If you don't have hope, you can't be heroic. You can be selfish. You can lay down and die. But you can't be heroic if you only have hope in this life. Listen. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection? This is Paul asking the question. But he says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If there's no resurrection, then Jesus didn't rise. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. And we are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that He raised Christ. Whom if He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ is not raised. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sin. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope only in this life, then we are of all people most to be pitied is it just our stuff is that the only thing that really matters almost everybody lives for things in this life we live for status we live for money we live for love we live for things but listen remember I told you in the fall there was one resounding illustration of an enemy That enemy is what? Death. And death, well, death comes for everybody. Death is inevitable. And death will take it all away. Death will take away family. Death will take away stuff. Death will take away love. Death takes it all away. What that means is, we're all in exile. Death is a wicked task 
master. So God gave Israel a vision of resurrection and hope. God gave Israel this vision. Look at Ezekiel 37 verse 2. He led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Can dry bones live again? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. I, that's most of my answers anymore. When I, when I graduated from Bible college round one, I was pretty sure I knew everything. As I near graduation Bible college round two, I just say, oh Lord, you know. Uh, I'm more amazed by the things I don't know. But I've always said, it's not the things I don't know that worry me. It's the things I do know. Yeah, there's enough that we do know. I don't understand how this works or how that works. Okay, but do you understand how this part works? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's not overly complicated, is it? The, we know what the words mean. We just don't want to do it. Oh, my neighbor's a jerk. So G, they asked Jesus, well, who really is my neighbor? Jesus said, you know that dirty Samaritan? Yeah, he's a better neighbor than you. Oh, wow. Do you know what this means? Love your enemy? Oh, we probably do. We might not like it. But you know what it means, don't you? Yeah, love your enemy. How about this? Do good to those who spitefully use you. That can't be in the Bible. Why, yes it is. And it says it just that plain. For those who are married, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know what that means, don't you? Wives, what's the other part? Oh, that's the dirty word. That can't be in the Bible. It's not the things I don't understand. It's the things I do. Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, is mine. The one who does what I say. Oh, now, I'm not sure I like that too much, neither. Uh, I told you before, I coached football out at Castleford for about four years. And while I was coaching football out there, one of the things I love that Tracy would say occasionally to me and to the kids as well. I still love this saying. The kids would say, you know, he'd say, well, we're going to do practice. We're going to do two a day. Yeah, we're going to do two a days. He'd say, okay, you got the easy part over with. What's the easy part? The words. What's the hard part? Oh, Oh, you're not really supposed to do that, are you? Right? No. This is how we treat Christianity. No. You don't, there's, there's no do, really. We can't earn our salvation. Absolutely cannot. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot earn it. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to get it. Well, how do I get it? I receive Jesus Christ by faith. Yeah. Here's what the Bible says. Confess with your lips and believe in your heart. I'm going to make it real easy for you. Ladies, 
You ever had somebody tell you they love you? Did you believe them? And ones that you believed, what was different between them and the ones you didn't? Maybe there was more than words? Oh, be careful. The words are the easy part. The hard part, loving them like Christ loved the church. Doing. Do, doing what he said. Listening to what he said. Yeah. Fellas, is no different. You know that God says in his word, there's two things he wants from us. Two. Do you know they're the same two things you want from every relationship you've ever had in your life? One, he wants your faithfulness. Anybody want to have a relationship with unfaithful people? I do. Oh, I, oh wait, no. What? Yeah, nobody wants an unfaithful friend, do they? Oh, I can't wait to have an unfaithful friend stab me in the back. No. No. Usually we say we want a faithful friend. Oh, God wants that. He wants our faithfulness. One, faithful love. Chesed. Loving kindness. He wants our faithful love. Two, he wants you to know him. Isn't that what you want from someone else? I mean, someone who's really your friend, do they know you? I know my wife's looks. I know some of your looks, too. So I can say things like, why are you giving me stink eye right now? That's stink eye. I know what stink eye is. I've seen your face before, and it doesn't always have that look on it. Right? We, we want to know, we want, to, we want people to know us. Gosh, one of the biggest sitcoms in the world, Cheers, right? People watch Cheers for years. The whole song, what was it about? Go to a place where? Oh, you guys seen it. I want to go where everybody knows my name. What are we saying? I, I want people to know me. Don't you know that that's the image of God in you? That's a fingerprint of God. Says, that's a word from God saying, I made you. Because I made you like me. You want faithfulness. I made you like me. You, you want to be known. Those are the same things I want from you. So we see the exile. Man goes, man, I, 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 we mess it up. We're goof-ups. We fell. We were corrupted, and we rebelled. And in our fallen, corrupted, rebellious nature, we find ourselves in exile. And we say, well, what do I do? What do I do? Well, listen to what God told Ezekiel. Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, what's that next phrase? Hear the word of the Lord. Where, where does life come into the bones from? Word of God. You ask every preacher if he knows what it is to speak the dead bones. Wait a minute. That sounds like a left-handed compliment. Well, you guys probably know what it's like. You ever tried to talk to somebody who already knows everything? Or have you ever tried to talk to somebody who's already got it all figured out? 
Right? They have all the answers. You know what it's like, too. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to touch that one. So when we look at it, look, when we look at it, here's what we understand. He's saying, speak the word of the Lord to him. Now, what happens when the word of the Lord is spoken? Something changes in the dry bones. Look, it says, thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I'll cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will lay sinew upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you, cover you with skin, put breath in you, and you will live, and you will know that I am the Lord. When God calls the dead to life, the living know He's the Lord. If God has called you from dead to life, you know He's the Lord. That's what it says over and over again here. So that you will know I am the Lord. I will cause the dead to live again. So he says in verse 7, I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, the rattling of the bones, and the bone came together. You know the song, the knee bones connected to the... Ah, somebody's always going to join in. So the bones start to come together, and I look, and behold, there was no... or there were sinew, so the cartilage starts to come in, and then there was flesh and skin covered them, but there was no breath. So is this an upgrade or not? You had dry bones, now you have corpses. Right? What do, you, what do you call a body with no life? Corpse. A bunch of corpses. So he's prophesied, and bones have come together, and now you have corpses, but you still don't have no life. There's still no life. It's still dead. There's still this loss. The bones have become corpses until what? Until the Spirit of God gives them life. Look, do you see the illustration being drawn out? Do you see what God is doing? Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. It's funny because in, in Hebrew, people don't know what to do with this word. Prophesy to the breath. That's weird. Oh, you know the word breath and the word spirit are the same? It's interesting because when you look at Abraham and Sarah, they both have a name change. Do you guys know that? It's Abram to Abra. How do you say Abraham? What do you add? Breath. You go from Sarai to Sarah, what did you add? Breath. Oh, weird, huh? Weird. No longer will you be called Abram, now you'll be called Abraham. No longer will you be called Sarai, you will be called Sarah. What is added? The Ruach, the breath, which is a symbol of the Spirit. When does someone become alive? When the Spirit enters into them. What does everyone have to experience in their relationship with God? They have to experience new life, right? They have to be born a... Oh, they got to be born again. That means they got to be born of the Spirit. The Spirit has to enter in. So Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. These dead bones become corpses. The best we can do. We're still dead. Until the Spirit enters in. It is the Spirit that gives life. Life comes 
by the Spirit. Look what happens. Prophesied to the breath. The Ruach. Prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on the slain that they may live. So I prophesied. The Spirit moved. Breath came into them. They lived and stood on their feet. An exceeding army. They all stood up. Now, God's going to explain it. Verse 11. Now listen, all these bones, he says, we just looked at it earlier. These are the whole house of Israel. And they say our bones are dry. Our hope is lost and we're cut off. Therefore prophesy to them, thus says the Lord. What will he do? I will open your graves. I'll raise you from your graves. There they are, the nation of Israel without hope. Despairing. They lost everything that they thought was important. But they discovered something. They discovered if they have a relationship with the living God, they still have everything they need. Listen, in Christ, you can't lose anyone. If somebody came in and took all of our children from us and took all of our wives from us or our husbands from us and we were all divided and you never saw them again this life. You know in Christ you've lost nothing. You have lost no one. We don't get to heaven and go, oh, I don't know you. I have to meet you all over again. No. That's dumb. There is nothing in the Bible that says, there's nothing in the Bible that says you're dumber when you get to heaven. Than you are now. In fact, what the Bible says is you will know them as you're known. Oh, that whole idea, right? That God wants to be known and that God knows you. Does God know you very well? And then God says when you're in heaven, you're going to know like he knows. So now you're really going to know your husband. You're really going to know your wife. You're really going to know your family. We, we worry all the time. Well, do, don't we lose all that? The Bible says we'll be like the angels. We neither marry nor are given in marriage. Are you, are you sure that's what it says? I think what it says is there's no Leverite marriage. What was the story? A man had a woman and she was married and then that guy died and she married again and that guy died and she married again and that guy died. Now who's she going to be married to in, in the resurrection? Jesus says there's no Leverite marriage in heaven. You, why, why, are you, why are you worried about that? That's a silly thing to worry about. You'll be in the presence of God. You think you'll have less relationship with people in heaven than you have here? When, heaven's, when everything that God says about heaven is that it's better, you'll have worse relationship there? How does that work? Oh, don't go outside your head. Think. Think. It's better. It's greater. It's more amazing. It's hope. It's hope eternal. Job. You read the book of Job? When you get to the end of the book of Job, Job gets everything back he lost. Double. Except for what? Kids. Why didn't he get double the kids? Because he didn't lose them. They're not lost. 
If you live your life as a believer, you know very well where they are. Absent from the body is to be what? Do you know where they are? And there's a whole other relationship waiting. Renewed. Uh, not stained by our brokenness. A perfect one. Man, it's going to be good. Better. Best. So we see this, this idea. The Lord says, look, I'm going to raise you from the graves. I'm going to bring you to the land. <clears throat> and you will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from the grave. When I give the dead life, you'll know I'm the Lord. When I make you live. When I make you alive. Oh, my people, I will put my spirit in you. And you will live and I will place you on your own land. And you will know I am the Lord. I have spoken it. I will do it. God says, man, I'm going to put my spirit and I'm going to make you alive. I'm going to make you alive. Look, this whole story is a metaphor about the return from exile. About the return from exile. God is able to bring us to life. God is able to defeat the last enemy. The only enemy that holds anything, that is able to take anything imaginary even from us. The only one. In John 20, verse 21, Jesus looked at his disciples. He said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And when he said this, listen, don't miss it. He did what? Breathed on them. Ruach. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now listen, in Genesis 1, I see God say things. God said, let there be light. And, oh, it's interesting. So if he said, receive the Holy Spirit, what happened? Yeah, they received the Holy Spirit. They received Him. The Holy Spirit <coughs> entered in. I don't have time to go through the Greek prepositional phrases, but there's three of them that deal with the Holy Spirit. This is number two. The Holy Spirit coming in. The Holy Spirit moving into them. Now they have the Holy Spirit in them. Jesus is saying to them, I'm going to lead you out of the ultimate exile. I'm going to lead you from the defeat of the final enemy. I'm going to help you escape death. That's why Paul would declare, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? You have nothing on us now. So Jesus said, I'll breathe my Holy Spirit into you. Because I was raised from the dead. If you believe in me, you will be raised from the dead too. This is ultimate hope. So how do I get that hope in me? How do I move from a position of hopefulness to a position of strength? There's three things. First, you hear the truth. Ezekiel, prophesy the word of the Lord to these bones. First you hear the truth. The truth is spoken. You preach the message of truth to these bones. What's the message of truth? God can give you life. 
Ephesians 1 verse 13, it says this, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. When you heard the truth and believed in Him. Ephesians chapter 1. The first thing we need to do to get this hope in me, to walk in strength, to move from selfishness or despair to heroics. You hear the truth. The second thing we do is we believe. We believe it. Hearing is not believing. Sitting in it, that's believing. What do I mean? Well, there's a story told. You guys have probably heard it before. I can't remember the fellow's name, uh, but he was a tightrope walker. And he would put a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And he'd walk across the tightrope. Now, uh, it's two things I don't like. Tightropes and heights. So, yeah, I'm, I'm good with watching. but And I don't, don't want to watch long. It's a, nobody wants to watch that not work out, right? Well, the story goes, he walked across. And then he walked out there and he carried a little barbecue and he cooked breakfast on a tight wire. And he ate breakfast and he walked back. And then the story goes, he, he walked over to one side and he got a wheelbarrow, put rocks in it. And he pushed the wheelbarrow across the other side. And he got to the other side, there was somebody there that was watching him. He said, you, think, you, you believe I can take this wheelbarrow across? Yeah, I just watched you do it. He said, right on. He dumped out the rocks and said, get in. <laughs> you believe when you get in a wheelbarrow. Before then, it's just words. Do you ever think about that? When you believed the gospel, you heard the truth, and then we believe the truth. John chapter 3, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless one is, is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We must be born again. In Mark 1.14, when Jesus began to preach, you know what his message was? You know what Jesus' message was all summed down into to one sentence? He said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. Mark 1.14 and 15. Peter, when he gave the message, Acts chapter 2 verse 37, it says, now when they heard... Excuse me, now when they heard these words, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and your children and all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. Repent and believe. 
Repent and believe. Sometimes I think, uh, you know, about the idea of the wheelbarrow and getting in and how, how do we get in? What, what is the thing we get in? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, we get in Christ. Because in Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. In Christ, we have redemption. In Christ, our brokenness is made whole. In Christ, we need to be in Christ. Well, how do I get in Christ? Jesus, talking to Nicodemus, said, Don't be confused that I say, You must be what? Born again. Man must be born of the flesh and born of the Spirit. That's right. He must be born of the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. When you believe in Christ, and you get in Christ, you are born of the Spirit. You are in Him. And when you are in Christ, 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're born again to a living hope. Paul would say, put on Christ. Put Him on. You and I, we've had plenty of time to make the calls to celebrate our independence from God. And I don't know how you did, but I didn't do all that great. So about 30-some years ago, I declared my dependence on Him. I stepped out of my independence and I said to God, You got me, lock, stock, a barrel, whatever you want. You open a door, I'll walk through it. Where you send me, I will go. Who you call me to love, I'm going to love. I'm going to hear your word and do my best to do your word. And when I fail, I'm going to repent and ask for your forgiveness. And God says, good. That's how we do relationship. Right? That's how we do marriage. That's how we do life. It's not some supernatural pie in the sky. It's real. It's just real. Living, finding our hope in Him. So Jesus' resurrection is our hope and strength. That God is able to make dead bones live again. That the Spirit enters in when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the Spirit makes us born again, born alive. We enter into Christ. How do we do it? We believe. What he said is true. And when we believe, it ain't just <coughs> our lips. Sorry, that's bad grammar. It ain't just our lips. It is, I'm pretty sure ain't, ain't a word, right? I'm going to hear about that in a couple weeks. Um, but, but the reality is we, we enter in, right? We enter in because we heard the word of truth. We heard the gospel. We believed it. And it's more than just the words on our lips. Jesus is standing in front of you with a wheelbarrow. And he's saying, get in. 
And all I know is if Jesus says get in, I'm in. Jesus says love your enemies, I'm going to love my enemies. And when I fail, I'm going to ask for forgiveness and try again. Because that's what relationship looks like. Right? What I'm not going to do is live for myself. What I'm not going to do is lay down on the ground and die. What I am going to do is my best to be heroic. To do what I can do on my own. But to do what God's calling me to do. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Just like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him. In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. We were once a valley of dry bones. You don't have to be there anymore. You have heard the truth. You have heard the gospel. Believe. Be set free. And you will be able to say, Death, where's your victory? You're not so scary anymore. I don't have to be afraid of you. And you can't separate me from anything. For neither death, nor life, nor any created thing is able to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus your Lord. Nothing. That's the power of the resurrection. Amen? Why not you stand with me? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word, the calling of the dry bones to life. Lord God, as we stand here before you this resurrection day, remembering that our Savior is alive. Lord, that he rose from the dead. That he (coughs) lays out this concept of first fruits for us, that we can acknowledge, that we can recognize it, that we can know. He is calling the dead to life. He called me as a dead man to live in Christ. Lord God, you are calling us this morning to live in Christ. Paul said, for me, to die is gain, but to live is Christ. To live. Lord, you're 
You're calling us away from selfishness and away from nihilism, meaninglessness. And you're calling us to life. You're calling us away from foolishness and you're calling us to walk the path of wisdom. You're calling us to life. So you say as you stand before the people I have set before you, blessing and cursing life and death, choose life. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that proclaims He is life. And He is alive. And He's calling you. So let Him breathe life into your dry bones. Let Him give life to your lifeless heart. Respond to Him. We're going to close out in a word of worship. And as we do, folks will be up front. Elders will be present. If, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you would like to, come talk to Him. If you need prayer, don't worry. Easter dinner is still coming. Come up and have prayer. Receive the things you need from life, for life is in Christ. I thought I lived before, but I didn't. I was a dead man walking. But Jesus Christ, who is rich in mercy and love, He made me alive. I pray this morning you will know life in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in His name we pray. Amen.